Jesus, we thank you when it's good. We thank you when it's bad. We thank you when it looks bad because we know it's turning to good because that's what your word says. And we thank you, God, for the good things that are going to happen, not just now, but in this next week and the weeks to come. And we thank you for what is actually happening here. In your name, King of Kings. Amen? Amen. Take a seat. Take a seat. I need to get into this. Oh, yeah, that's awesome, this water. I'm gonna, if you are the sort of person who takes notes at a message... When, I'm, when somebody's preaching, all the best, the best of British luck to you. <laughs> You're going to need it. Uh, as good as, uh, good, good has been, um, so my friend Guda Rao, you know, he just, he's just basically explained that he's going to India. He's been reading some Reinhard Bonnke's books and we've been traveling together a little bit. And one of the things that Reinhard Bonnke says, I have the shape of the gospel, the shape of the message of the gospel inside of me and I need, just need the, the words will come. And so I, I feel... Gotta keep talking to me like that as, as we're going somewhere. And I feel exactly like that. I have this thing inside of me and let's hope I, I, I believe I can get it out. But if you're going to write anything down, write these, these two things which uh, will form the basis of this message tonight, if you can call it a message. Okay, the first one is God's got a big mind. And the second thing is you, uh, behavior never lies. God's got a big mind and behavior never lies. So what I basically don't normally do this. I don't normally give the game away. I like to lure you in. I like to tease you with wondering what the heck's going to happen. Who's from Oxford Falls? Who's visiting here from Oxford Falls? We're the Oxford Falls couple. What a hoot. I'll tell you why it's a hoot. You've got to come up here to hear me preach and I'm from Oxford Falls. I think that's hysterical. I might even pray for you later on. Oh yeah, who used to go to Oxford Falls? Yes, excellent. All like birds, you know, heading north for the winter, you know, heading, heading for the warmer climes. I've got a word for this church. I've got a word for all of you who are here. I've got a word for you guys. I'm going to deliver it in a moment. I really believe, I really believe God is stirring inside of me. I don't know if you notice what goes on in the spiritual realm. Probably not. I mean, you know, don't have to. You don't ask my job to know these things, right? Um, but um, if you can call this a job, but if, if, if you can't, you're just coming in, I, what you need to know is as the worship was going on, it sort of started, worship, just the music started, and then gradually the presence of God just got deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper as everything progressed. Until it feels to me like we're kind of swimming in this beautiful, warm, tropical ocean of the presence of God's presence. Now, if you don't feel that, it's all right. It's perfectly fine. Just leave it with me. I'm okay with it. I know where we're at. But we're swimming in tropical waters tonight. Right? It's warm. It's beautiful. It's colorful. It's amazing. And God has got a big mind and behavior never lies. I don't normally give the game away. Normally, I take the scenic route. Just ask anybody who's heard me preach. I take the scenic route. You don't know where the heck I'm going. You don't know what the heck's going on. I start with some weird story. You think it's got nothing to do with anything. And then by the time we get to the end, everybody goes, oh, that was amazing. He worked it all out like that. And he knew where he was going all along. Tonight, I'm giving the game away. It makes me very uncomfortable because it feels like I haven't got my normal tricks up my sleeve. God has got a big mind bigger than yours bigger than anybody's actually it's astounding how small minded you are and how small minded I am and I tell you what the smallest minds are not just in the church they're in the media they're in politics and they're in business and they're in the shopping centres because there's 21, 22 million people with small minds wandering around this country but the funny thing about them is they think they've got really big minds. There are some people out there going, I'm a big-minded person. But they're nothing. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 15. 
Genesis 15. I'm going to go, I'm briefly here. Then, and verse 4. You know, Abraham's, Abraham's cranky. He's not cranky, really. He's upset. Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is this other guy from Damascus. And I can't pronounce some of these names. And Abraham said, you've given me no children. So a servant is going to be my heir. And to Abram, to a Jewish man, the heir is everything. Because, you know, these guys were agricultural business people. They ran agribusinesses and the son gets everything. And so he's going, man, all this stuff, all I've worked my life for is going to go in the hands of a guy who's just basically been here working like a hired hand. And then the word of the Lord came to him and said, this man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. And then verse 5, God, he took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. And then so shall your offspring be. He, God, took Abram outside. Yeah, we, we all live in a tent. We carry it with us. Like, why do you think we've got an Old Testament? Because there's so much in that that is still absolutely and fundamentally the way we are right now. We all live in a tent. It's got walls. It's got a roof. It's got things that confine us, things that restrict us, things that we can't see beyond. Are you getting me now? And we carry it with us. Like the Jews carried it with them. They would go to another, you know, when the, when the ground is getting a little bit sparse, they would go and find a little bit more. They'd stake out some ground here, can't move their tent around. If you actually read uh, the story of Abram, you know, he moved his tent from one place to the next. We all carry our tent. It's the tent of our own thinking. It's the tent of our own ideas. It's the tent of our own identity. And it's got limits to it. It's got walls. You can't, I don't know if you've ever been inside a tent, you can't really see what's going on outside. And it's got a roof. It's got limits. And God had to take Abram out of his tent. Because God's got a big mind. So Abram's going, give me a son. Just one. God goes, okay, I'll give you one. And then, so, and then he goes, and come outside. And then you go, and look at all these stars. Count them if you can. That's how big it's going to be. You know, and Abram believed... Sort of. Sort of believed. So the Bible says he believed and it was counted to him as righteousness. He believed it, but sort of. Because you know the story, there was a bit of, you know, Sarah was getting pretty old and he was thinking, man, you know, we keep, you know, we, this is a family show, right? So we keep, you know, there's certain things that we are doing here in the marriage bed to produce an heir and it's not happening, right? And even Sarah's kind of giving up. She's, well, you know, this Hagar. Why don't you give her a shot, so to speak? It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. What do you? You know, don't look at me like I'm the guy with the filthy mind. <laughs> so he does, and Hagar produces a son. He sort of believed. Does that make sense? So he's going, okay. Well, Sarah, well, not me. I'm too old, and you know, it's all dried up and whatever. Oh, okay. So there's Hagar, but that wasn't it either. Because God's got a big mind, bigger than yours. And we just get ourselves in the tent and get in there. And what's in your, what forms your tent? Just your experience. You can only see what you've seen. You can only know what you've known. Are you getting me now? Okay, so that's the first thing. God's mind, is, God's got a big mind. Bigger than yours. Bigger than mine. So big, actually that he will say stuff 
like there's going to be, this is a stage for a thousand people, auditorium, and we can't, we believe it, sort of. You know what I'm saying? We believe it, sort of. So I'm coming actually with I mean, some encouragement on that vision and, and a tiny bit of a rebuke, which is to do with the generational thing. Because you have to understand that you, you shouldn't be talking like that. You should yeah. be talking like you're doing it. Yeah, come on. <laughs> so I'm, yeah. I'm going to prophesy right. in a minute, right? So, because I had a word for you when you were doing the thing and it's, the, it's not, not four months until the harvest. I'll get, I'll get to it. Yeah. I'm going to get to it. Yeah. Like, I've got the shape of the thing inside of me. I'm a musician. Everything has to come out like music. Right? Everything has to come out like music. I can't, I can't write, I, it's not, I'm not a linear thinker. Just ask my wife. You can't ask my wife, she's not here, you just have to believe me. God's mind is bigger than your mind. All you see is the inside of your tent, and your tent is what it is because of what your life history is. Your tent is what it is because of all the things that have happened to you. Your tent is what it is because, uh, you know, people spoke words over you that were words of uh, death. You know, power of Bible says the power of life and death is in your tongue. And, you know, somebody disagreed with you, had an argument with you, and they spat out something in the middle of that argument. Every now and again, some of those words slip through the shield, don't they? And wham, it got inside of you and you went, oh, that's ugly. And it hurt you and it talked you down and it changed the way you think about yourself like it happened to you. And, and so what actually God does is he brings a guy like me driving up here in my Ford XR6 listening to my friend Gooda talk, watching the GPS because I had no idea where... I can't even say this word, you know. I can't even say... Yeah, I know Tugra, but what's the name of the road? Anyway, never mind. And I go, we've never met before, have we? And God has come today to actually remove the power of the words of death out of, that have been spoken over your life right now. Are you ready? You want to get rid of it? Because it feels to me like you look great, but you're dying on the inside. And so God wants you to be on the inside like you are on the outside. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Jesus. So it's very simple. It's like this, right? It's like I'm going to hold your hand, but it's like in your other hand, God wants you to hold all those words that have been spoken over you. Like hold your hand like, like that's it, great. And hold the words here in your hand, all those words. And if you can, in your heart, in your mind, imagine those words. Jeez, they were vicious. Standing here in front of you, I get the nature, I get the viciousness of it. They came from uh, this other, look, from these, there's definitely more than one person, but there seems to be one person in particular. It's come from a place of extreme pain in their life. And they don't really know what they're doing, except that the words still carry life and death, and they've carried death. And so God wants you to take all those words that are in your memory and pile them up there. Have you got them? Are they there? Great, just turn your hand over. Right, and they fall to the ground. They can't stay there. Are they on the ground now? Don't let them stick to your hand. Are they on the ground? I'm shaking them off. Sorry. Are they gone? They're not there anymore, right? They're on the ground. Just kick them under the chair. Kick them under the chair. Nice. You're not much of an actress, but that's okay. You don't have to be. You're an awesome woman. We've kicked them under the chair. Now, now this is what's going to happen. You're going to leave them under the chair when you leave the building tonight. It'll be like when you sit down in your seat, it'll like you almost feel the weight of the words of death in you that have been spoken over you sitting underneath you for the rest of the meeting. But when you get up, you're not to take them with you. You're to leave them here. We have a special group of people who come by and take care of those things. The Holy Spirit is going to eradicate the power of those words as you leave the building tonight. Are you hearing that? 
You're together? No, you're just, no, no, you're just standing. You're just standing. Just in case something happens. Because God wants you to be on the inside like you are on the outside. And you are, actually, as of this minute. But you'll feel it as you leave the building. It'll be like as you walk out of the building, the weight of it will go out of your spirit. And you'll feel um, literally five years younger. And you'll feel full of hope again, like you were five years ago. And you'll feel like life has got promise and a future, because it does. You with me on that? In the name of Jesus. Scott's not into it. He's had enough. He flinched every time you flinched. And enough's enough. And he's willing to let matters go on for a certain amount of time because of grace, but now enough's enough. The dividing line has been crossed. Those words have no more power. I break them in the name of Jesus. Instead, I speak life. That you are beloved daughter of God. That you are beautiful. You're amazing. You have talent. You're bright. You're not stupid. You're bright. You're intelligent. You're just not intelligent in ways that other people recognize. God's given you a lot of skill. God's given you a lot of gifting. It's time to begin to live in it and walk in it. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You like that? That's good. Awesome. That's the Lord. Have a seat. Where was I? Where was I? I was talking, was I talking about God is big. God's got a big mind. I was talking about the tent. I got distracted. That's your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. God's mind is big. It's our mind that's small. And I think inside the church and outside the church, I'm not saying that about this church, but I think inside the church we start to get small-minded about God. We can't have this, we can't have that, you know. And we start to get cranky with people because they do things wrong in church life. It beats me that we think like that. And the reason it beats me that we think like that is because the Bible, God's in his own words says, there's not a righteous man on earth who doesn't sin. Put your hand up if you're sinless. I'm not, this is me, not me. I'm not putting my hand up. I'm just going, this is what you should do if you're sinless. Put your hand up if you're sinless. You know, like, uh, now, okay, so we know that, but we don't live like that. We don't act like that. Right. We do here. There's something about this church that has grace written all over it, which is why God is going to do what God is going to do here. So you two need to stand to your feet. You need to bring whatever members of your family. You've got to know there's one at a wedding. Where's, where's the rest of, where's Jilly? Where's the grandchild? She's, well, okay, that's all right. Just leave them out there. We don't want certain parts of the human body exposed in church life. <laughs> So we've got two out of four, plus the mum and dad. We've got husbands, all right? No, but we've got a... Is there a husband here? Is it work? Oh, you've got to love that. Thank you, Jesus. So this is it. Don't say four months until the harvest. That's John, John chapter four. Don't say four months until the harvest. It's now. The harvest is now. Listen to me, man and woman of God. Listen to me, family of man and woman of God. By the year 2025, 
Newcastle and Sydney will be joined. It'll be houses as far as the eye can see. It'll be houses and roads and buildings and factories and malls. It's getting there now. In the next, well, I'm sitting there and God's saying to me in the next 10 to 15 years. So, you know, think, it's 2009, I think, by the, but we start looking for it 2019 to 2024. By the, by the, so 2025 is a good, nice round number. By then, Sydney and Newcastle will be joined and this will be the middle. When you, go and, when you go and start something that God directs you to start, don't expect to start it where all the action already is. God makes you go where the action is going to be. Right. So you're where the action is going to be. And so you don't be saying, oh, the next generation, the next generation. This work has been given to you. They, they have their own burden that you will give to them, but this work is for you. And so I, the other thing I got was this. And when God speaks to me about people, it's amazing how funny sometimes those are. It was the ad that we used to have for New Zealand. You know, the one that says, stay where you are, New Zealand, I'm, I'm coming over. You know that ad? Stay where you are, New Zealand. Okay, but this wasn't it. It was, it was Andrew Denton, a great atheist, who actually ran a counter ad to that, stay where you are, New Zealand, just stay where you are. It was meant to be, you know, it was an, it was an, an anti-ad for New Zealand. But that was what I got to God, is to stay where you are, because the world is coming to you. God is bringing people to you. God is bringing the city to you. God is bringing people to you. They are coming to you. All you have to do is build the garden, is build the place where the presence of, where my presence is, says the Lord. Just build it and they will come. And it's, your, it's been laid on your shoulders. And, and you, you know, it's, don't say, oh, it's four months. It could be this, it could be then. God is bringing it to pass, what he's put in your heart. And it is on your shoulders. And the generations have their own task. Because what goes on here is a thing of beauty, says the Lord. What goes on here is a thing of beauty, says the Lord. Does this make sense? You know, it's an easy thing for me to feel. Stretch your hands out towards these guys. You know, you're here. You're in, if you're here, you're involved in an amazing thing. Right? You're involved in an amazing thing. Because what this is going to be in, in five years' time is going to be much more bigger, much more influential, much more extraordinary than this. And what's going to be in 10 years' time and so on and so on. It doesn't take a prophet to figure this out, to be honest. The thing about it is, easy when you've come from nothing, then a miracle block of land and then a tent and then this building to go, I may not get to do the rest of it. You'll get to do the rest of it. You get to do the rest of it. That and more. That and more. Because God has got a big mind and he's taking you out of your tent. <laughs> look around. That's what he's saying. Taking you out of your tent. Look around. In the name of Jesus. Yeah, that's awesome. Now for you, I do get it actually. Just looking at you, it's really funny. 
You know, God broke the mold when he made you. God breaks the mold with everybody, but he broke it in particular with you. And the reason for it is right now the world is only ready for only one of you. We can only have one of you in the world and the world can cope. Yeah. You are actually, what people talk about revolutions and revolutionary things, they don't really know what that actually means. But I'm looking at one. The shape of the church is going to change. We're not going to be, the church will be what it is, but we're going to be doing church in so many different ways. There's going to be so many different aspects of it. You are one of those people who will make it different. You're one of those people, you are different and you'll make it different because you are different. (laughs) That's so funny. I wish you could actually meet my 15-year-old daughter. There's something about you and her that are the same apart from your age group. Right? There is, an, there is a, a willingness inside for God, but an unwillingness to conform yes. to the rules and a willingness to show everybody else that you can break them and forge a new path. And so you will. But in the power of God, you're a cruise missile waiting to be launched. <laughs> Just don't launch before you get launched. Wait for God to press the buttons. Do you think God made you and then doesn't understand you? No, of course, it's common sense, really. Except common sense is such an uncommon thing. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've got it going on, honey. God gets it. I think you go, I am different. You don't understand how that works. But God understands how it works. So just relax, chill out, enjoy the ride. Keep your room tidy. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, because your parents like to see the floor every now and again. Thank you, Lord God. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Prophesying to my own daughter. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start prophesying over everybody else. So just because I don't have something specific for you, don't feel that that's God excluding you. That's not the case. God is so into what you're doing. Right? But just some things need specific attention. You need to meet my, my daughter. You could cut loose together. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's rude. It's rude, but it's like, my, it's like my daughter flips me the bird nearly every second day. You know, she lets me have it. But you're like that with the world. But God needs that. Do you understand? God needs that to change the world. Every one of us are doing what we're going to be, what we're called to do. And you have to do what you're called to do, which is to flip the bird at the right time, just not at the wrong time. In the name of Jesus, give the Lord a clap offering. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. I know you. Yeah. I know you. You're like me. I wonder where my daughter gets it from, but it's no secret. You're like me when I was like 17 or 18. Don't fit. Don't fit anywhere. <laughs> yeah. I just don't think you're going to turn out as ugly as I did. I think you'll do better on the looks department. No, I think she's already got a head start. I wake up in the morning, look in the mirror and go, oh God, who's that? who stole my body? Left me with this. It's enough to make you believe in aliens. <laughs> in the middle of the night, they came down to the spaceship and... <laughs> Okay, okay. You see, um, 
two, there are two things in this message. One of them is one of them is God has a big mind. The other is uh, behavior never lies. Can you turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter seven? Matthew chapter seven. How am I doing so far? Are you, are you liking this? You, is it all right? You probably say that because you're wired up to say it. But Matthew chapter 7. Just verse 15. You know, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. And but, this is Jesus goes, well, how can you tell? By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot be a bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot be a good fruit. Every tree that does and so on and so forth. You know what that's saying? That's saying this behavior never lies. So how do you tell? How do you tell whether you should live your life with these people here in this church? How do you tell? Well, behavior never lies. So what are they like? Are they consistent? Because behavior never lies. Are you hearing me? The message on giving is a powerful message. I'm, I'm glad that I'm saying this after you took up a love offering for me because behavior never because I don't want to be saying this like it's manipulative. But behavior never lies. If you believe in giving as a, as, a, as a means of liberating yourself, you'll give. If you don't believe in it really, you kind of won't give because the behavior never lies. I'm not saying this to you as a... As a, as a you, I'm obviously not trying to leverage a love offering because the love offering's done. I'm actually because this is everybody's everybody's struggle is to break out of the tent, and we all break out of the tent. In, we have to break out of the tent in some way. For some of us, it's giving. For some of us, it's coming to church. For some of us, it's even believing in God. For some of us, it's our behaviour. But this is how it is with God. He doesn't care how far you are in and out of the tent. He's just happy to have you. Come on. God doesn't, you know, this is the small-minded man goes, oh, you know, you're not giving. Don't, don't come to this church. Or, you know, if, you, if you're not, not going to give, don't bother showing up. That kind of thing. Or if you can't, you know, behave yourself properly, well, we don't want you here. Or, you know, if you don't dress a certain way or you don't talk a certain way, we don't want you here. That's the small-minded. God's got a big mind. God doesn't care where you are except that he wants to get you and hug you and hold you and go, come on, let's go a little bit further out of your tent. God's got a big mind. And behavior never lies. So let's look at God's behavior. John chapter 8. Just turn there quickly, quickly. I'm just going to tell you this. I mean, actually, to be honest, when I'm, I was trying to prepare this message in the way that you can, which is to try and prepare it, which is to try and find these things, like these things. And so I, I picked about half a dozen of these, but it's clear that I'm not going to get time for them. John chapter 8. Oh, it's Matthew chapter 8. No wonder I can't find <laughs> See, I had two bookmarks that looked exactly the same. Jesus went to the Mount of Isaac, John chapter 8, verse 2. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Small minds. Say, small mind. Come on, small mind. 
They made, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked the woman, Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So, you know, that's when the Bible writes that stuff down, it actually so, you know, almost flat and, and I'm going to say boring. It's not boring, but it's just really flat and just not very descriptive. But when you, you can actually, by carefully looking at that scripture, you can see what was going on there. Behavior never lies. Right? Just say that. Behavior never lies. So now we're looking at God's behavior. This is God's behavior. Jesus comes down from the Mount of Olives and he's teaching in the, out in front of the synagogue. And so the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, the, the religious people, the ones with the small minds, says they caught a woman in the act of adultery and brought her down and they made a stand before the group. So they got a woman and they caught her in the act of adultery. I want to come back to that in a minute. But they made a stand before the group. That's small-minded. Now, you know what, I know, I know I've, been, I've been to places where I've heard of churches where they get people and they make them stand up and confess their sin in front of everybody. Small mind. Do you know why? The person already knows their sin. It's not a righteous man on earth who does not sin. You can't avoid that word. Every single one of us has got a problem. Every single one of us has got some problem. We're just not telling anybody. But what they did was they made that girl stand up and be apparent what was her problem. And she's humiliated. Actually, that's a humiliating moment, isn't it? Caught in the act of adultery and they're standing in front of everybody outside the temple. It's actually worse than humiliating. You think about what's about to happen. They've caught this woman in the, in the act of adultery. And then what they do is they're going to stone her because you know that because there are people there with stones ready to do it. So she's not just humiliated, she's in fear of her life. And it works like this. They caught her in the very act of adultery. It's what the Bible says. Do you remember me reading that? How do you catch somebody in the very act? Think about that for a minute. Don't blame me if this has all gone a little bit sort of M.A. I didn't write it. It's not my story. I'm just telling it. I'm telling it because you need to understand that behavior never lies and that God has a big mind. So God is standing there and the, teaching in the marketplace outside the thing. And the Pharisees caught a woman in the very act of adultery. You could only catch them in the very act of adultery if you knew exactly where they were going to be at the very time they were going to do it. And I don't know if you know too much about the act of adultery, but in most instances it doesn't take very long. They say 2.8 to 3 minutes on average. The very act I'm talking about. I'm serious. Out of a 24-hour day, you've got to be incredibly... Those, those guys ought to have gone, instead of catching... They, 
They caught the woman in the act of adultery. They should have gone down to the casino and put some money down on the roulette wheel. That is luck. Right? No, it's not. It's not luck. They knew exactly who she was and they knew exactly where to find her and they knew exactly how to find her. How did they know? The Bible doesn't actually say this, but you know, you've got to bet that that woman was a prostitute because where else can you reliably find somebody who's committing adultery? So they've got a prostitute. So how do they know where and when she's going to be? Well, it's one of them. Because Jesus refers to them as hypocrites. That's what a hypocrite would do. A hypocrite would go to a prostitute and then go, you're a prostitute, and then try and nail her on the tree for it. Are you getting this? How else do you catch someone in the very act? They caught her in the very act, one of those guys went and did it. You notice, don't you, that they brought the woman down. This woman is caught in the very act of adultery. They didn't bring the guy down. Why didn't they bring the guy down? The guy was caught in the act of adultery too? Or was she committing adultery all by herself? It's not possible to commit adultery by yourself. She was there with somebody and that somebody never showed up. Why? Because he's one of them. They're hypocrites. So they catch this woman, they bring her down. Now she knows, she's, imagine this girl. She's just, you know, plying the trade. Then all of a sudden, these guys burst into the room in their religious garb, in their temple clothing. They grab her out of the bed. They're angry. They're furious. You've got to be angry and furious. You've got to work yourself up into a temper to want to kill somebody. Because when somebody's standing before you and pleading for their life, it's an absolutely heartless person that you need to be in order to go ahead and kill them. So you've got to work yourself up. Very few people get killed calmly. They die in the heat of the moment, don't they? So these guys have worked themselves up into a temper. They're angry. They're actually angry with Jesus. They're not angry with her because it's Jesus they're wanting to expose. So they go down to, they bring her down, they drag her through the streets. They caught her in the act. They drag her through the streets. The other guy escapes and disappears. They drag her down. She drags a sheet off the bed. She drags it, sticks it around herself, a naked body to prevent herself from being humiliated. But she's there being dragged through the streets and she knows what happens to somebody who's caught in the act of adultery. She knows they're going to take her down to a public square and stone her, which is not somebody throwing pebbles at you. They're going to throw big rocks at you. They're going to try and crush your skull open. That's the point. Crush the skull so there's a cerebral hemorrhage. They don't think of the medical thing, but that's what they're going to do. It's not a pleasant death. And so she is seeing that coming at her. And she's seeing the rage of the crowd as she comes through because quite a few people recognize her. And they're spitting on her. And they're hurling insults at her. All of the people they've gathered to throw stones on her because there are people gathered to throw stones on this woman. It was a setup. Hello. It was a public execution and a setup. And deliberately, they were going to sacrifice this girl's life to show that Jesus was not the real thing. And so she's brought, can you see the mascara is running down her face. Her makeup is all, almost all gone. The lipstick is smeared. All she's got is this sheet to protect her with. Her hair is in disarray. She gets to the, in the public square. She's run out of tears. She's dry heaving, sobbing. You know, when you get no more, you've got no more tears left to cry. And she's huddled on the ground waiting for the first stone to fall. And that's when they go, teacher, we caught this woman in the act of adultery. And Will says, we should stone these people. What do you say? And he says, let he who is without guilt cast the first stone. 
with a, with a weight of some kind of authority because they begin to leave. And she's huddled over. She's huddled over. I guess what she's thinking is this is it. Because he didn't hear a pronounced innocence. He didn't hear Jesus, she didn't hear Jesus go, let her go free. She's waiting, protecting herself, head bowed over, you know, covered with her arms for the first rock to strike. But no rocks strike. And I guess if she's just huddled over there, she hears the sound of feet moving on the sand and then moving away and she can hear Jesus scribbling in the sand, drawing in the sand. I don't know what he was drawing in the sand. Phil Pringle once said he thought that Jesus was writing in the sand all the sins of all the people standing around. Easy, could be. When you're God, you can do that. So he's there. Minutes pass. No rocks are falling. Place falls silent. I think Jesus comes over to her, lifts her up, her head up by the chin, looks her in the eye and says, Woman, who's left to condemn you? She looks around. No one, Lord. So then he says this, Neither do I condemn you. Behavior never lies. Behavior never lies. That's God behaving. That's God behaving. She's caught in the act. It's against the law. She's sinned. It's in the Old Testament. It's one of the Ten Commandments. I mean, if you're going to, you know, it's the Ten Commandments. It's the Big Ten. I mean, Jesus is part of the Godhead, part of the the triune God that actually spoke that word and said, this is what you've got to do to keep eternal life. And this girl has broken that law. But behavior never lies. And God has got a big mind. Because God's big mind goes, her life is more important than that infringement, than that infraction, than that lack of judgment, than that moment, or any other moment for that matter. Because he says this, neither do I condemn you that's God acting behavior never lies that's how God acts it's the small mindedness of man that forces us out of fellowship it's the small mindedness of man that tells us that church is a bunch of weirdos it's the small mindedness of man that hurts you That small-minded man, that small-minded woman was the one who upset you, offended you, hurt you, broke you. God has got a big mind and goes, you can commit adultery and I won't condemn you. Just come to me. That's pretty big. Are you hearing this? See, so what do you, you know, know, I I often think that... uh, you know, I often think that sometimes I think I think sometimes that churches take on the responsibility for judgment. We're not here to judge. We're here to pronounce God's forgiveness. We're here to pronounce God's grace. 
We're here to pronounce God's favor. We're here to pronounce, hey, we don't condemn you either. Because there's not a righteous man on earth who doesn't sin. We're doing the best we can. We have good days and bad days. Hello. We have good days and bad days. All we have outside of everybody else on planet earth is a God who loves us and forgives us and gives us a second shot and a third shot and a fourth shot and a fifth shot. Are you hearing this? Come on now, if you're going to clap. Come on. Come on. In Luke chapter 4, gee, I'm, just, I'm, I'm speaking to you as, about your future. <coughs> this is the way you are. There's not another church like this on earth. There's some a lot like it. But there's none quite like it. That's why Pastor Phil is sending you text messages saying thousands will come. What possesses him to do that? God speaks to him in a moment. Yeah, Phil, bam, there it is. It's Phil and Julie, actually. It's not just Phil. But I hope you've noticed. You've noticed. Jesus stands up in the temple to announce his arrival as the saviour of the world. And he speaks this scripture. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me. Come on. The spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to bring judgment, to bring punishment, to bring imprisonment. Come on, get with me. Get with me. Is that a, I mean, get with me. Because I mean, you can go to places where it feels like that. It doesn't feel like that here. It's the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's what a great guy. How awesome is that guy? I mean, we get wrapped up in so many things. But how do you how can you say no to a guy who goes, What's your problem? Let me set you free. And I'll pay for it with my own blood. If I need to. And he needed to. Set free the prisoners. Man, you're going, I'm not in prison. That's Parkley Jail, or that's, you know, Long Bay. Come on, you're in a tent. It's a prison. It's in here. Everybody's in a tent. Everybody's in their tent. You know, God had to take Abram outside. Come outside your tent, buddy. Let me show you something. Because I've got a big mind. And we're all in the prison in here. But God's got a bigger mind than yours. God's coming, come on out for a little while. Do you want to see what I can see for you? You want it? You feeling better? You don't, if, if you're not feeling better, just shake your head. Because you will when you leave here. You feeling better? Gradually? A little bit? Of course. Because God's going, I'm going to set this girl free. Because the prison's in their mind. You can get an elephant. You know, you get, I'm, I'm going to finish. Now it's 20 to 8. They said finish at 7.30, but there's 15-minute grace. So I'm definitely into the grace period. There's, a, there's, this, there's, this moment, there's this moment where you actually can train an elephant. You can train an elephant in the, in the zoo 
And this is how elephant trainers in the, in, in the zoo or in the circuses do it, particularly in for circuses, because they want the elephants to, they don't want them to wander off. It's very embarrassing if you've got set up a, a, a circus in somebody's neighborhood and then there are elephants wandering the streets. It's hard to keep, you know, keep your press, you know, the press looking positive, you know, elephants walking through people's houses. They, what they do is they put a stake in the ground, tie a chain to the stake, 30 foot long chain, and then they tie it around the elephant, the little baby elephant's leg. And so every time the elephant wanders more than 30 foot from the stake, the leg grabs on the thing, and that's very painful for the elephant. And, and so pretty quickly the baby elephant learns that it can go no further from the metal stake. And so at a certain point in time, they don't, the animal keeper doesn't even bother with the chain, they just put the stake in the ground, and the elephant has learnt never to go more than 30 feet from the stake. But the elephant is no longer in chains, except in the mind. And that's where, that's where all the prisons are. It's time to step out of your tent, church. It's time for you to step out of your tent. And a lot of the tent is going to be to do with rejection and your identity, that you're not good enough. And that's because when the devil comes to you, comes to you and grabs your, shakes your identity and says, you know, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. Most of what he steals is your idea of yourself, is God's idea of you, your real self. Most of what he tries to kill is you, your idea of you. Most of what he comes to steal is your hope. Most of what he comes to destroy is your future by taking away your hope and your sense of who you are. And he can do that by getting into your mind and going, that's all you are. And you get affected. You can get affected by the stuff around you. Man, oh man, stuff around you. You get beaten up. Of course you do. Everybody does. It's time to step out of the tent. Because Jesus came to set us free from that. Do you see any judgment in Luke chapter 4? Do you see any judgment? Do you see anything but freedom and grace and love? Do you see anything but it? And here's what happened straight after that. They tried to kill him. Small minds of man. Big mind of God. I'll tell you what goes on in this church. What goes on in this church is pastors and a team of people who volunteer here and give their time here are desperately looking to try and establish the presence of God. Prophetic atmosphere, the whole thing. Right? That's what goes on here. They're willing to give up form and structure and function in order to try and get that and, and go with it. And sometimes, I guess, sometimes it's not normal. You know what that is? That's a couple trying to go, we, are, we have human minds, but we are trying to contact the big mind. And they're just willing to go with whatever that flow is in order to touch something from that big mind that goes outside of our understanding. We don't understand everything that goes on in church. Do you think I have any plans or notes for this message? I'm just trying to touch the mind of God enough in this atmosphere where heaven and earth meet that can leave you with something that takes you out of your tent and draws you out, for the, out, out and goes, this is what your future is. Because the thief has come to steal, kill and destroy you. But Jesus came so that you could have life and have it in abundance. And what life is, is, hey, I'm going to rock your world. This isn't what you thought it is. Church isn't what you thought it is. Don't come here looking to judge people. Don't come here looking to think how good you are in comparison to them. That's not this kind of church. This church is not that kind of church. It's not going to fly here. Because you're going to have thousands of people. And they're going to come from all over this place. They're going to be broken and bruised and hurt. And they're going to get healed. And the only way they get healed is without judgment. 
Come on. Without judgment. I'm not, this is not me saying you've got to become like this. This is me saying who you are. This is who you are. This is what you carry. That's why you like, those of you who come around here a lot, this is why you like it here. Because you fit here, you belong here, other people don't. I could belong here. Heck of a commute. But you know, if you can get me a place with an ocean view like I've got down there in Beacon Hill, you know, I might be interested. Do you know what I'm saying? It's beautiful here. Because it's without judgment. Listen, do this little exercise for me. Think of all the things, that deep, dark secrets of yours that you've got, things that you've done wrong, you don't want to be judged for. Well, everybody's the same. I'm not here looking for judgment. And I'm not here, and neither are these guys here to bring judgment. We're here to carry the presence and the life of God. And he sets prisoners free. He releases, opens blind eyes. He releases people from their, from their imprisonment. He declares the favorable year of God. He says, I, who's left to condemn you? Nobody. Well, then me neither. There is no condemnation in Christ Jesus, writes Paul the Apostle. Come on. Oh, there's life and there's love. You're digging it. You understand because you know what God did for you, right? You do. You know what God did for you. That's why you get it. I need to prophesy over you. I knew I needed to prophesy over you. Where's your son? Bring him up. Drag him up. Come on. Uh, and then I need to basically, basically I need to offer an option for those of you who don't feel like you've got a good connection with God to get a connection. So if you want a connection with God, you don't have a good connection, I'm going gonna, gonna, to do it. We're going to pray. That's all. It, by the way, it's not about humiliating you. It's not about asking you to expose yourself to humiliation or vulnerability. We're going to pray everybody in, in, to get us seated in, their seat, in our seats. Because God's out, out for you. He brought freedom. They tried to kill him. What a hoot. Right, right. But that's because God's got a big mind. Yeah. And that mankind is a small mind. Yeah. And we're at our best when we get in touch with God. Yeah. We worship God. What Romans 12 one says, worship God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Worship God with your whole body. Bring your body and make it a living sacrifice. And then it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's what happens. You worship God, your mind gets transformed. That is, you worship God, you stop being in your tent. You get to go outside and see what God is showing you because He's got a big mind. He's got a big mind. And when He takes you out of your tent, when He takes you out of your tent, He's not trying to destroy you. Because behavior never lies and I just showed you how God behaves. God behaves to you like he behaved towards that woman caught in the act of adultery. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And ma'am, I really feel like there are, people have beaten you down. I really feel like there's been a, an attack on your spirit. And you are standing strong doesn't feel like it some days some days good some days bad small minded people but God loves you and it's bringing you out of your tent just hang on there just hang on bringing you out of your tent I don't think I mean you know there are good things that God has, has spoken over your life I think it's a part of you that goes I just don't believe they're going to happen anymore God has made promises to you and he's going to keep them, but there's a part of you going, I don't think he's going to do them. I think I've given up. And, and God's saying to you, that was the small-minded people. 
make you think like that. Small-minded events make you think like that. But God's got a big mind. God is making his promises through. He's going to do it. He's, he's just not in the kind of hurry you would like him to be in. And the reason for it is you get the best at the right time. The best things come to you at the right time. If he were to give you the things that you want right now, they wouldn't be the best. The best things are to come. Because he doesn't see your life the way you see it. You see it like now. But he sees you as like an 85-year-old long pink worm, you know, with grey hair at one end. An 80-year-long pink worm. 80 years long. 85 years long, probably. More, a little bit more like 86 years in your case. You know? And at one end, you're tiny and you're a little baby. And at the other end, you've got grey hair and you're all stooped over. He sees your whole life in one glance. Do you get that? He doesn't see you in the instant. You see yourself in the instant. He sees all of your life. When he makes promises to you, he doesn't just make them idly to punish you or to torment you. He makes them and he watches over them to make sure they come to pass. And they're coming to pass. Just you stop believing in them. You stop believing in them and you need to start believing in them again because the time is approaching. And you need to start believing them because you, if you've got your eyes open to see how the promises come to pass, you'll see them. But if you've stopped believing, your head will be down. You won't see them even though they come to pass around you. So God wants you to start believing again. Okay? Now just give it time. Don't thank me. It's not good for me. Thank, that's right. That's right. Let's thank God. If that's God, we thank God. Don't thank me. Thank you, Jesus. Because you need to start believing. Hope is coming into your life tonight. Again. Hmm. Because um, those promises are coming. They just haven't come yet, but they're coming. Because the ones that you could have had, yeah, you don't want those. No, you don't want them. You don't want them. In the name of Jesus. So, I feel like I had a word for you, almost more than him, but you know, I can go for it. Thank you, Jesus. Can you lift your hands up to heaven, man? Yeah, go for it. Just do it. Just do it. Both hands. Give it a shot. You're a guitar player? No. You're a keyboard player? Yeah. Awesome. Lift your hands up to heaven. This is good for you. Thank you, Jesus. The problem is, you know, the people around you, there are people around you who just don't think the way you think. But your, your man understands you. Yeah, right. Because yeah, right, he thinks the way you think. Your mind works like this. Bang, ding, 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 ding. Like, and it's like, if somebody were to go out and show you the night sky, you would form completely different constellations than the ones that everyone else has done. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what, don't complain about it. You're creative. That's, that's the, the beauty of it. Right? The problem is all these other people don't understand. Don't, understand, but don't expect them to understand because their minds work like this. They work like that. Everything in a line. Okay? Mm. Well, you, don't worry about it. Right? Yeah. There's nothing wrong with you. Right? Everything, there's so much that's right in you. So much that's right in you. You've got a heart that's bigger than your body. Right? You've got an emotional world that's bigger than your body. It's like there are days when you feel like, I think, an emotional pincushion. Every, somebody would sneeze around you and you go, that was definitely directed at me. You know? And they're not. They're not. But it is. But that's the way you're wired. It's, you know, don't, don't point complaining. You know what your job is, don't you? Your job is to make things beautiful. Your job is to make beauty. That's what your job is. Your job is to bring beauty into the world. And if you don't, you'll be tormented. And then if you do, it'll be, <laughs> you know? It'll be rocky, but it'll be, but it'll be beautiful. Yeah. And your job is to bring beauty into the world so that other people's lives will be changed and healed. Mm. And God is actually saying that to you. You know, God is actually saying that I made you like this. 
a misfit so that you would actually be the person who could hear the sound of my voice, so that you'd be the person who, you hear the sound of God's voice, but in ways that most people don't. And I don't even think you necessarily, you may recognize that as God's voice, I don't know if you do, but there are times when it feels like your entire soul is in harmony with the universe. And you're hearing the voice of God there. But you've got to write that music. You've got to write that music, you've got to make that happen, you're going to write music for films, right? You're going to be doing that sort of stuff. It's, I don't know how you're going to get there, I wish I knew how to get there myself. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. I don't, know that, I don't know necessarily that it'll be a life that's fabulously wealthy, but I don't think you're going to be poor either. But I certainly know this, that your greatest, your greatest joy is going to be as you serve God in making beauty for the earth. Right? And don't swear too much all that other stuff that's going on around you. It's just normal for somebody like you. Yeah, It's normal for you because no, I understand that because that's me. Right? Thank you, Lord God. Just lift your hands up to heaven one more time, you know, because, you know, yeah, I know, it seems a little weird. <laughs> it's, uh, it's weird. Yeah. yeah, but that's because there are some things about the big mind of God that we can't fit inside our little minds. Mm. So what this does, though, is it physically, it make, opens us up physically. Stretch them right out like that. That's it. That's it. See, when you do that, it kind of opens up your heart inside, even though it's... Okay. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Beauty speaks to beauty, man, madam, awesome, man, awesome. So, you know, you need to understand that the devil will try and come against you to steal that gift. And the word of God says, you resist the devil and he will flee. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's you. You're a maker of beauty. That's your job description. Thank you, Lord God. There's a moment in... Um, it's in the Passion of the Christ. Actually, it's from the Bible where Jesus actually says, I'm seeing, I'm making all things new. And that's actually what's happening to you right now. God is saying to you, see, Neil, I'm making all things new. All things new. See, I'm making all things new. Because God knows how to deal with a world that's imperfect. And God knows how to deal with trying to put together the hopes and dreams and expectations of over 7 billion people simultaneously, some of whom don't want anything to do with him. You're not that kind of guy. But he's capable of that. Think about that for a minute. God is weaving the futures of 7.5 billion people together into a tapestry. He's like painting a painting with people's lives. Right? Simultaneously, as they are making choices about it, free will choices... And he's still weaving it. Yeah. And he's speaking to each of them all at once in their own language. And he's listening to the cry of their heart. Even when they're not speaking to him directly, still listening to the cry of their heart. And that's the God that's dealing with you. That's the God that's making all things new. That's the God that is making all things new. I actually see your work uh, taking on a transformational quality over the next 6 to 12 months. I, I see you, uh, you're, you becoming accustomed to light. In, the, in ways that you've not been before and you're pretty good but I see you becoming accustomed to light and being able to interpret it with this you, like you see it and then it comes out different I think light is going to be portrayed in your paintings in ways that have never been portrayed before take that I have this idea inside of me that I'm hesitant to say but I want to say it because I feel like it's God I've got to take the risk and the only thing that, if, if I'm wrong the worst that can happen to me is that someone takes me out and stones me 
But it feels to me like in your, in the, in the, the, what are the seeds that are inside of you are as revolutionary as Monet, as the seeds were in, that were in Monet, what he actually brought to painting, to the visual medium, in the way he saw light. I think that God has put something in you like that that is actually going to come to pass. I don't think there's anything you can do about it. I don't think you should go home and go, I need to think like I'm going to be a revolutionary because that's actually not what it is. You just have to be who you are and you have to accept the flow of the river of God and the flow of the river of life and how God turns all of that into a tapestry and your part of the tapestry is something to do with the nature of light and how it's seen and how you portray that and that's going to take your work to a transformational level praise God God. yeah thank you Lord Jesus give the Lord a clap offering hey what's your name Cameron, nice. Just quickly, gone, I've gone past my grace period. And this, this five to eight is definitely too much coffee in my blood supply. <laughs> Think about it for a minute. Okay, maybe it wasn't that funny after all. It seemed funny to me, but, you know, I'm living it. <laughs> I'm living it. How did I do? Oxford Falls, guys, did I do all right? What's the score? Eight out of ten, six out of ten? Eight? That's not bad, you know, because yeah. Pastor Phil's preaching down there. Eight out of ten is pretty good. All right, cool. If you um, don't have a connection with God and you want to have a connection with God or you've somehow lost your connection with God and you don't have... Um, come on up, mate. Yeah, um, you don't have... Maybe you've never had one. Maybe you've never had a connection with God you want to get one. You're going, okay, I've had enough of dealing with the small-mindedness around me. I've had enough of my own small mind and I know... God has got a big mind and I know behavior never lies and I know if in my heart I'm ready to just talk with him, there's going to be no condemnation. He's not going to condemn me or judge me. So if that's you, and I'm going to pray for you in a minute, or if you've lost your connection with God and you want to get it back, I'm going to pray for you in a minute too. What I'd like to do is I'd like everybody in the, real, in the building, the, the room, to close your eyes. The reason for this is it's a private moment. This is a private moment. This is you and God and me and I'm short-sighted. So I'm not trying to, I don't want, I don't want you to feel humiliated. I'm not going to make you stand up in front of the crowd. I'm not going to make you come down the front. I'm going to ask you though at some point later on to come and identify yourself privately, personally with one of the pastors here. That's a different thing. But if you are looking for that moment, you're reaching out for God tonight, you're going, I came here, I want something more than what I've got. My connection with God is fragile, it's broken, or it's non-existent, and I want a connection with God. Just slip your hand up so that I know how many people we're praying for. Just slip your hand up so that I'll see it. You need to slip it up quite high because I'm short-sighted. Thanks. There's two hands there so far. Anyone else? Anyone else? You can put your hands down. Thanks. Anyone else? Just put your hand up. It's not a... It's Honestly... You can. Pr- we're going to pray a prayer together. You can pray with me. You don't have to put your hand up. God's still going to meet you. So this is not about you and God. This is about me. <laughs> I want to know how many people we're praying for. So if there's anyone else, slip your hand up and I'll see it so that I know. Slip your hand up and I'll see it. You've lost your connection with God or it's fragile. You want to get reconnected. Two people so far. Is there anyone else? I'm just happy to wait a minute. Thank you. I see you up the back there. That's great. Anyone else? Thank you, sir. See that? Thank you. Anyone else? There's four people there responding. 
you're sitting here and going, man, I don't know, maybe I should put my hand up or not, you know. Give it a shot. Give it a shot. Give God a go. Give that, give Jesus a go. It's Jesus that we're talking about here. It's Jesus, the guy who turned away all the religious leaders and said, you're not going to kill this woman. Thank you, I see your hand. Thank you, I see that hand. There's six people there. Does anyone else want to join them? Six people praying this prayer. Anyone else want to join them? Thank you, I see your hand. Anyone else? This is Jesus. I mean, I'm, a, I'm not a bad guy, you know, but you should talk to my wife. I've got a lot of problems. My wife's a psychologist. She's qualified to tell me how many problems I've got. So it's not me that you're dealing with. It's the guy who goes, I don't condemn you. And he's the guy with every right to condemn. But he's, it's free. This is the get out of jail free card tonight. Is there anyone else here who want to put their hand up and go, that's me? Let's pray together then, shall we, church? There's six people lifted their hand and responded to the... And just all I'd ask you is at some point that you come up and go, yeah, that was me, to one of the pastors and go, hey, this is me, I was for the first time or the real time tonight or I was just getting back in touch with God.